So welcome everybody. It's a, a real pleasure to be here. It's always a pleasure to be here. Um, it's always a pleasure to be with you. Um, and uh, I have to say uh, that I'm not just saying that. Um, there's some people that, uh, you know, you, you think are a pleasure to be with. And there's other people, you know, Lord forgive me, that, that you don't necessarily, you know, automatically describe spending time with them as a pleasure, right? And, and sometimes it's kind, of, it's kind of not just like the person, but the circumstance. So that's what we're here to talk about today in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. How to deal with difficult conversations. I tweeted a bunch of tweets yesterday just to kind of get people excited and people from all over the world were replying to me uh, asking me for this to be recorded. So welcome to you all who are going to be watching this from elsewhere. This is just an introduction, okay? This is just an introduction of how to change difficult conversations into great conversations. And this is not... Um, gonna be uh, a step-by-step -step, you know what to do with every possible scenario and and I'm not gonna deal with what happens when you do this and it goes wrong because this isn't always gonna work right I'm just gonna talk about where do I have to get myself to be so that I can make the most of a difficult conversation and change a difficult conversation into a great conversation, change a conversation which I would usually be not feel so great about to something that I'm actually excited to do. I'm excited to try this stuff out. I'm excited to see how well this stuff is going to work. A lot of this stuff is from this lovely uh, person, Sheila Heen, who's written the Bible on difficult conversations called Difficult Conversations, How to Discuss What Matters Most. So in the effort of uh, not plagiarizing, a lot of the ideas come from here. And she is a fantastic Christian and Christ follower. However, because this is written for the workplace, it's written for a secular environment, it's written for everybody and enemy, everybody and anybody, she's taking the beautiful teachings of Christ and making them accessible to everyone and anyone. So what I'm doing is I'm taking what she said and I'm showing you where Jesus has actually is actually the real author of how to deal with difficult conversations. So read the book, get the audio book. It's, it's great. We could do another, you know, four or five week series um, using this as a platform. But today we're just doing just an introduction. Okay, and you can get a lot more from, from Sheila Heen um, um, there. Well, you know what? Something you may not know uh, about me is I haven't always looked forward to difficult conversations. In fact, I used to coach basketball. The sister of, uh, you know, one of my guards uh, is here with us. Um, and um, actually the other guard, we had two starting guards, uh, JP and Danny. Uh, one day Danny didn't do what I told him to do. So I told him to do what I wanted him to do and he didn't do it and he, he was about like a full foot taller than me and probably at least 30 40 pounds of muscle heavier than me and I told him to do something and he just brushed me off so I told him I, I'm gonna kill you if you don't do this and and he and I can't remember what it was run a lap or something it was some disciplinary action and he didn't so I just 
I just jumped on him, pinned him to the floor. I did, what he didn't know is I used to do jujitsu, right? So like, so right, I pinned him to the, and I strangled him till he turned blue. He literally turned blue before they had to get, before four guys got me off of him. So I haven't always dealt with difficult conversations in a healthy, in a healthy way. Um, and most of us don't. And most of us just deal with difficult conversations by avoiding them. Over 50% of people will do almost anything not to have a difficult conversations. Another, another one of two people would prefer to put up with a negative situation rather than tackle it. And you know what the worst part of all of this is? Is that, man, is it taxing. It gives you anxiety, it ruins your sleep, it ruins your other relationships. You start treating other people the way you wish you could treat that person because they're not treating you the way they should and you just don't want to confront it. Man, is this just a bad apple in our lives that God doesn't want to leave as a bad apple. God wants to make this an opportunity for glory. And if you don't believe me, that's what we're going to talk about today. You see, what I've learned is that some conversations are kind of like a minefield. But if you are careful and you have a good roadmap, and if even better, if you have a good guide, you can choreograph your way and take your partner through that minefield and bring them to paradise on the other side. Notice I used the word partner. I struggled to find the right word for the, the person that you are having this conversation with. And after reading and writing and reading and writing and so on, I realized, you know, the, the, perfect, the perfect word for that is partner. You see, like, like this is for marriage prep, and that's why I didn't want to put it as a slide, but we always tell people, don't fight each other, fight the problem together. Don't fight each other, fight the problem together. The problem is not the person. The problem is some other extrinsic thing, and we're going to talk a lot about that in a couple of minutes. But the first part is that the who is so much more important than the what. Because almost every single what that is the problem is time limited. But the who, if you are indeed a Christ follower, you believe they're going to live forever. So the who is something that lasts forever. The what is time limited. My, my boss sends me, uh, you know, condescending emails. Uh, my husband or wife doesn't help me out at home. My kids, uh, you know, are, don't uh, tidy up after themselves. My, these are self-limited things. They're self-limited things. The dishes will get done by you or by your husband, or you'll just have a fight and throw all the dishes at each other and decide to use disposables for the rest of your life. The dishes are a self-limited thing. But the person that you are going to war, getting ready to go to war with, they're going to live forever. They're going to live forever. The thing is limited. So the who is so much more important than the what. Last week, I quoted my favorite person in the whole wide world, my wife. Today, I'm going to quote... The person who's had probably the biggest influence on me, but I didn't know it, sneaky, sneaky dad, you know? 
And he'd tell me these things and they would sneak, you know, and now I'm saying them and I'm like, where did that come from? You know, and I made fun of him my whole life, right? Sorry, dad. And, uh, and now I'm realizing he was right all along. He would tell me, if you're in an argument, you have lost already. You don't win arguments. If you're in an argument, you lost. Because you lost the person. Win the person, you'll win the argument. Win the person, lose the argument, you'll win them tomorrow. Win the person, lose the argument, you'll win them the day after. Win the person, lose the argument, you'll win a friend for life, he would tell me. It's more important to win the person than it is to win the argument. Thanks, Dad. Thanks. You were right. Took me 30 years to figure it out, but you were right. Mary and I would often say to each other, it's all about the interaction, not the transaction. It's all about people over projects. Projects can go on hold. Projects can fail and you can start another one. Projects can get suspended, can get dismissed. People are of unestimable value. If you believe, and, 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 and I'm not assuming you do or don't, but if you believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead, was incarnate, came, lived life on earth, and died for you and for me, and rose from the dead. If you believe St. Augustine when he says, if I was the only person on the face of the earth, Jesus would have come and died for me. That person that you and I are getting ready to go to war with and we are loading up our ammunition and we're loading up our arguments and we are loading up we are, and we're going to go in there, both guns blazing. That person's value is the blood of Christ. Before you block them, before you write them off, before you cancel out that person. They are worth the blood of the person who has loved you and me more than anyone else on the earth. Maya Angelou, and it's thought that she borrowed this from a book written in 1991 by H. Jackson Brown, said, I've learned that people will forget what you have said. People will forget what you did. But people will never forget how you made them feel. And Jesus mastered this. He mastered grace and truth. He, ma he mastered sharing the truth with people, but doing it graciously. So if we're going to turn to anybody to learn how to deal with difficult conversations, I tip my hat to you, Sheila Heen, but I'm going to go to Jesus. I'm going to go to Jesus because he just mastered it. The key question, is this communication going to help the relationship? Because the relationship is more important than what you have previously, what we have previously deemed defined as the problem. So let's make sure that this communication that we're about to have now is going to improve our relationship, not make it worse. That's the question. Everybody comes into a situation with a story. Everybody has a story, 
right? You have a story and they have a story. If your stories were the same, you probably wouldn't be having this conversation. And everybody has an agenda. They have a story and they have a reason that they have a story. And they have a reason that they have a reason that they have that story. We're going to talk all about that. Don't worry. And both stories are important. And both stories are valuable. And both stories, can I tell you the truth, are often true. But we still don't see eye to eye. We still don't see eye to eye. So how are we going to see eye to eye? You see, there's stuff going on on the surface and there's stuff going on in the deep. There's stuff going on on the surface. It's kind of like who and what and where and how. And I encourage you, and we're going to talk about this in a little bit more detail, to, to start, oftentimes you can start these conversations by, by verifying the facts. Did you indeed say this to you know, your friend about me? No, I never said that. Yes, I did. You know, instead of taking hearsay, you know, sometimes it's something you witnessed. You witnessed something, and that's the, that's the thing that needs to be addressed. That's the, the problem, right? But sometimes it's something that you heard. Verify the facts. But this, that's very superficial. Much deeper down is why. And the feelings associated with that and the hurt associated with that. And what does this say about my identity? Yeah, have you ever been in a situation where you did something that probably wasn't right or wasn't, it wasn't the best way of doing it? You said something, it probably wasn't the best way to say it. Okay, granted. But the reaction from the other person, Lord have mercy, you know, it's like I deserved a slap on the wrist and I got like, you know, like U.S. Army tanks. You know, I got like I got flooded with a disproportionate response to, shall we say, a stimulus or an insult or whatever that ever happened to you. That happens all the time. Why? Why do people sometimes pull out their bazookas to kill a fly? Why do we have road rage? Why do we, this guy, this guy cuts me off and I go ballistic. Other days a guy cuts me off and I pray for him. You know? Why? Because it touches my identity. We're going to talk, we're going to talk a lot more about that right now. You see, there's three levels of the conversation. There's the circumstances, the who, the what, the where, the when, you know, the how much and so on. There's another, there's another level to the conversation, which is the feelings. Yes, I was late. I'm sorry. But how did that make you feel? Made me, made you, made me feel that. Da, 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 da. There's a level which is deeper than that. What does that say about you? What does that say about you? This, this business of identity, sometimes we really struggle with, right? The kind of questions that, that, that we ask ourselves all the time without knowing, like they're happening somewhere just on the fringes of our subconscious and they just, they just you know, teeter into our conscious and back. Am I competent? Am I worthy of love and respect? Am I, you fill in the blank. Those are questions about our identity. 
Do you feel that my time is important? Am I worthy of respect? Is it just because I'm a, 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 you know, a, a, a homemaker you know, that you think I have all the time in the world? Etc., etc. Right? The story matters. But all three levels make up the story. And the reason the other person is behaving the way they're behaving is because it has a lot more to do than just the circumstances. It's affecting, it's very much involving how they feel. And if their reaction is in any way disproportionate, then it's very much related to their identity. So each person is telling a story of the circumstances. And sometimes those don't match. You said this, you said this, you said, no, I didn't. I said this, I said this, I said this. Then each person has feelings associated with their story, which are going to be different from the feelings of the other person. So each person has a story, each person has feelings, and now each person is interpreting all of this in regards to their identity. So we have three stories going on here and three stories going on here, and they're all different. Are you wondering why the thing is a big confusion? It's a big confusion because we're on completely different pages on every level. So no, no wonder, no wonder it's a big mess. And the problem is everybody wants to talk. Nobody wants to listen. So you are getting ready to go into this great, not difficult conversation and make it the best ever and make it a conversation which builds your relationship, which builds closeness, which builds trust, which builds intimacy in an in a, uh, appropriate fashion, rather than it being, you know, something which, which you regret. So what you got to do is just get ahead. Start the conversation before you meet the person. While you're sitting in your office, you know, and you're sitting in your office and you're preparing for this, ask yourself, what's my story? What's my story? What do I think happened? And how does that make me feel? And what does that say about my identity? What am I interpreting from the facts and the feelings? And I'm attaching that to my person, to my self-worth, to my worth to this company, to my worth to this team, to my worth to this family, to my worth to this person. How, how, where, where am I at? Those three levels, circumstances, feelings, and identity, figure it out. Say a bunch of I am statements. I am worthy of love and respect. Did this situation make me feel like I am worthy of love and respect? Certainly not. Okay. Did this situation make me feel like I am competent and confident in, in all of my skills and all of my what I'm meant to be doing? It? Uh, certainly not. So say a bunch of I am statements and see, does this situation you know, confirm those or negate those? And try to sort out what... What is it about this situation that's making you feel shaken in your identity? 
And when, my, when somebody takes a bite out of my identity, man, I'm going to become mama bear because my identity is, that's me. That's who I am. So you're going to compromise my identity. Boy, I'm going to compromise you, right? And that's what we do. And that's what we do, right? But we need to take a step back. We need to take a step back and ask ourselves, and this, this is where we recognize, forgive me, you know, my own selfishness. This is where I recognize that this situation probably actually had nothing to do with me. But somehow I've taken it through my own reasoning, my own feelings, my own insecurities. And, and it's not a problem. We're not here to shame, you know, guilt, shame or blame anybody. That's not what it's about. We're just here to try to figure out why we do the things that we do. Right. Somehow I've brought it back to myself. This thing that was about some project we were planning suddenly somehow became about me and my competence, my place in the company, my this, my that. Hmm. Recognize that it's the self, it's the ego, it's our pride, you know, that's getting in my way of seeing clearly. Jesus told us that. That's what Jesus told us. In Matthew 7, Jesus tells us some beautiful words, words for life, not just words for the Sermon on the Mount or sermons in church, just words for life. Honestly, honestly, the reason we do this thing after church on Sunday is because I thoroughly believe that regardless of what background you're from and what you actually believe, which is totally fine and I respect that if you're Buddhist, if you're Hindu, Muslim, you're from whatever background you're from, atheist, agnostic, it really doesn't matter. I think Jesus has words of wisdom that could help us all, myself included, and first and foremost, live life better. Here is a prime example where Jesus is telling us, get yourself out of the way so you can see clearly. Jesus tells us, judge not that you may not be judged. I'm going to give you the context. For with what, measure, with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and do not consider the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. See, the trouble is, as long as I feel that you are compromising my confidence, you are compromising my competence, you are compromising my reputation, you are this, you are that, you, you are taking, you're really, you're really just taking a stab at who I am. You know, this isn't, this isn't a disagreement about a budget. This isn't a disagreement about timing. This isn't a disagreement about how it's the best way to reach certain people for, at church. This, isn't, this, is a, this, is a, this is about me then I don't have time of day to deal with the thing that we're calling the problem. I don't have time of day to deal with, to deal with the budget, the, uh, the project, the this, the that, because 
a, a matter which is of much deeper importance is suddenly being compromised. So me or the project, me of course. So everything goes on hold and now I've got to defend me. So I don't have time to think creatively about the project that we're dis So we're calling, we, we have a problem with the project. The problem is not the project. The problem is there's this thing standing right in front of my face called my nose. You know, how many people here have a nose that is, goes further than their eyes do? Anybody? Yeah, all of us, right? You know, no matter how small and cute and petite and beautiful your nose is, you know, not calling you all big nosed, right? But it goes further than your eyes. And most of us are looking at what we're calling the problem, the circumstance, like this. All we can see, sorry about that, all we can see is ourself. Yeah, you know, please give me a ride home on a dangerous street cross-eyed, you know? Please, I used to be a surgeon before, please do life-saving surgery cross-eyed, you know? No, I want you, <laughs> I want you with 20-20 vision, I want you seeing clearly. What's preventing us from seeing clearly? ourselves, our person. So until we address that, until we get the self out of the way, until we realize this whole thing got started because this person wanted to do it that way and I wanted to do it this way. This has nothing to do with, with my confidence or my competence or my this or my that. It's just a disagreement about different ways of dealing with this issue, dealing with the dishes, dealing with the budget, dealing with the project, dealing with the service, dealing with... Until I get myself, until I get myself out of the way, there's no way I'm going to be able to... And we usually go into these conversations with a list of the crimes of the other person. You know, and you said this and that was rude and you said this and that was not right and you said and this and you did this and you did that and you did this behind my back, right? And we're all ready to go and set the other person straight. But we haven't, we're not seeing clearly yet. And I don't blame you. I don't blame you. If somebody gets into a car accident, God forbid, okay, you get into a car accident, okay, and you have a serious injury, God forbid, what are you going to repair first? The car or your broken leg, your broken arm, your spleen that's bleeding out that's going to make you die in the next 20 minutes? What are you going to address? The bleeding spleen that's going to kill you in 20 minutes, you know, or the fender of your car? Obviously, you're going to deal with yourself first. So when you feel that yourself is at risk, you don't have time and space to think clearly about the issue. The reality, though, is, is that you and I don't need to be so stressed out about ourselves. Look inwards. Ask yourself, what really happened? And how did that make me feel? What does that say about me? What do I feel that says about me, right? Now, the next step is to take all of that and to give it to God. This happened. This made me feel like this and like this and like this. And I feel, Lord, that that makes me this and this and that. 
Examine yourself in the presence of God Almighty. God is not a judgmental God. He's a loving God. He's a physician. He is an embalmer of wounds. Elijah stands before the king. Elijah is a hermit from the desert, dressed in rags. He hardly has his, hardly has his, 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 his groins covered. You know, stands before the king of Israel and tells him, God before whom I stand says, there not shall, shall not be a drop of rain until you repent from your idolatry. God before whom I stand. Let the fear of God shed light on the situation, on how it makes you feel and what it says to your identity. And I promise you, God as I know him, and no, I don't know how you know him, and you have the right to that, but God as I know him is the most gentle, gracious, yet honest diagnostician. And he will help. He will run his scalpel through this mess of statements that are going on in my head to divide between the truth and the lie and to do so with so much grace you'll feel the better for it. Do it in the presence of God. And then when you've done that, turn your interest to the other person. Look not for your own interests, says St. Paul, but also the interests of others. Ask yourself, what does my partner think happened? Same questions, right? Same thing, circumstances, feelings, identity. What does my partner think happened? How do I think it made them feel? This is all before you meet them, right? You're still sitting in your office with your feet up on the desk, right? We said, you have three stories, they have three stories. Reconstruct, what might their three stories be? Now, you know, he came into my office, he just stormed off. Why'd he storm off? What does he think I said? How does he feel about the thing that he thinks that I said? What does he think that says about his identity? You know what asking these questions does? You might say, like Father John, these questions are conjecture. These questions are speculation. This is a waste of time. I agree with you in a certain, to a certain degree. But you know what it does? This builds in us curiosity. And you go to meet the other person and you say, you know what? Forget about what we were talking about in my office a minute ago. I want to understand. I want to get you. I don't get... I'm going to be honest with you. I don't get you. I don't understand. I said... We don't have time to talk about the budget today. And you stormed off, slammed the door to my office, and disappeared. It took me two hours to find. I don't understand. Forget about the budget. We can discuss it today. I'll stay late. Don't worry. The budget's about, consider, consider it done. Why? What, what, what happened there? I'm just, I'm into you. Not in a, you know, in a kosher way, you know? I, I want to know what, what? What happened there, right? Build that curiosity in yourself before you go to meet them. Then go to meet the person and have your agenda. Your agenda is listen, listen, listen. Ask the, do ask the questions. Let them do the talking. People make mistakes when they talk, including myself. St. Arsenius has said one of the most quoted things in, in all of the history of the desert wis wisdom has said of much of what I have, I have spoken, 
I have regretted, but of silence I have never regretted. Listen, 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 ask the questions. So what happened there? How did that make you feel? What does that say about your identity? When you start saying about identity, people are like, huh, what, huh? what do you mean? So like, that made you feel like, like, like uh, dismissed. So what is, if, if you felt dismissed in this situation or another, put an uh, I am statement to that. I am, what would be concordant with that? What, what, what would agree with that? I am not important. I am not valued. I am not competent. What is it? What did you feel though? I don't want to put words in your mouth. You, you tell me. What did that say to you about your identity, right? Walk them through the same process that you walked yourself through while you're sitting in your office with the door closed and just thinking to yourself, right? St. James tells us, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to wrath, or slow to become angry. Ask yourself, ask the other person, what do we both agree about? We both agree the budget is important. We both agree. We both agree the budget needs to be dealt with soon. We both agree. We both agree that the items that you want discussed on the budget are really important. We both agree. We both agree that you need the information that you need about the budget so you can make other decisions that you were hoping to make today. I didn't know that, but now that I know that, we both agree. Okay, we agree. Make a list if you've got a whiteboard, if you've got a piece of paper, if you're meeting them for coffee, write on a napkin. Write down, make it clear, give some, some visual you know, some visual to say, what do we agree about? Okay, what do we see differently? What do we see differently about? Make another list of what you see differently. Work, work together against the problem. What have we both contributed to the problem? What have we both contributed to the problem? Might be words spoken, things done, you know? Ask yourself, ask the other person, right? This is a great opportunity to apologize. And if you apologize, most of us make this mistake. I almost do all the time. I apologize and I expect the other person to as well. Don't. Over 90% of the times we apologize, we forgive somebody for something, they don't even know what we've forgiven them for. So don't expect an apology, just apologize. See what you did wrong, what you could have done differently, what you could have done better. Apologize for it. Jesus says it's more important to be reconciled with your brother than to offer the gift that you have to offer to him. Jesus says, put a hold on the gift, put a hold on the, the worship, on the go, make peace with your brother, come back. Go apologize, come back, right? Separate the intention from the impact. What did the person intend and what happened? Both are important, okay? People say, oh, the only thing that matters is his intention. Yeah, try to say that, say that to the bank, you know? I intended to pay my mortgage payment, but I didn't. Doesn't matter, okay? Both are important, intention and impact, but separate those two. And the last thing I'm gonna share with you is that identity is not binary. Am I competent or am I not? Am I confident or am I not? Am I good at this or bad at that? It's identity is not binary. You are not binary. You're not a light switch that goes on and off. My boss applauded me, on. My boss dismissed me, off. Identity is a spectrum. My confidence grows over time. My competence has certainly grown over time. 
my ability to see clearly of who I am, my ability to let go of myself, my ability to let go of myself, my ability to allow the real me to be the real me, good and bad. My ability to accept myself for who I am and not freak out. My ability to see my faults and my mistakes before a loving, living God, full of grace and truth, has grown over time. It's not binary. It's not yes-no. It doesn't, it's not on-off. We grow as people. We grow in our competence. We grow in our confidence. We grow in our ability. We grow in our ability to deal with difficult situations. We grow in our ability to see ourselves as God sees us. This is a slide from last week, but it almost can't be repeated enough times. God is saying to me and he's saying to you, he is saying to me and he's saying to you, you are altogether beautiful. There is no spot in you. He's saying to you and he's saying to me, God Almighty is saying to us both, you are wonderfully and beautifully made. God is saying to you and he's saying to me that the king desires your beauty. God wants you. He wants you to come as you are. He come, wants you to come as you are with your problem, with your circumstances, with your feelings, and with all our funny ideas about our identity and bring them and lay them at the feet of his cross and tell him, Lord, now it's time for you to tell me who I am. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.